Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Caitlin Kotla. She is a queer activist from Ontario who does lots of good work surrounding mental health and eliminating barriers for LGBTQ plus people. So lots of good stuff going on, exciting stuff in her life. Um, So I'm excited to have her on. So Caitlin, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about you? Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, So yeah, as you said, I am from Ontario and I've done a lot of different things within the mental health space. Um, My interest in mental health first began around the age of 14 years old when I lost a very close friend to suicide. And from there, I really made it my mission to make sure that no one else had to lose their life to suicide. And so I decided that at that young age, I would really push my energy and my passions towards helping others. And along the way, there was a lot of self-discovery, a lot of healing, and my focus has always been on mental health. But as I started to explore my own identity and I became more comfortable talking about my queerness, I also decided that I wanted to help LGBTQ plus youth and their mental health as well. Um, because I was struggling with my own mental health and my identity at the same time and how those two intersect. And so that's what I've kind of done throughout my work. I do a number of different things. I sit on some organizations. Currently, I am the president of Fiette Sudbury Pride, which is our local pride organization. Um, And I also put out content to the world and I go on podcasts and I talk to people and I advocate to whoever will listen to me because I think it's a really important message. And I think that we need to start taking mental health seriously because we have a growing suicide crisis here, not just in Canada, but across the globe. And so it's something that we really need to start taking seriously. And it's something that we need to put more energy and resources towards fixing. Of course, definitely. So lots of good places we could start, but would you mind starting with a little bit about your self-discovery and your path to figuring out who you are and your labels. Absolutely. Yeah. So I always kind of knew um, that I wasn't straight, (laughs) Um, but it definitely, I first kind of found out when I was in elementary school, I think around the eighth grade. And then from there, I never really wanted to to use a label throughout high school. If somebody asked, I'd kind of be like, well, you know, I, I kind of just, I like who I like. And then that's how it is. And it wasn't until I actually started to get more involved within the LGBTQ plus community here in my city that I started to really understand and explore who I am. And I finally had the words to describe my identity. And so for a very long time, I flip flopped back and forth from bisexual to pansexual to maybe I'm a lesbian to all sorts of different things. And um, I kind of stumbled upon the label queer, and it's a very umbrella term, um, but it is what feels right for me. And that's the important part, I think, with anyone is, you know, you don't have to worry about what other people are going to think about the labels that you use. Don't worry about their judgment or how they're going to understand worry about whether or not you feel comfortable using it, whether or not it aligns with who you are. Um, And that's the most important part. And if people don't understand, then that's on them. And so I stumbled upon the, the label queer when I got involved 
Uh, I think I was about 19 years old when I first got involved with our local pride organization. And they they took me in and I had a lot of questions and I didn't really know anything about my identity and, and who I was and what our community looked like here in my city. And they educated me and they showed me what it was like to really accept who you are, despite what others may say. And, you know, fast forward two years, three years, here I am now, and I'm able to be out and proud. I came out to my family. Um, I've come out publicly to my community as well. And I'm able to exist in my identity in a confident way and not feel like I'm hiding a part of myself like I was previously, because I was always so afraid of, you know, what are people going to think or I was afraid of judgment and backlash and hate and you know being able to really step into that identity and feel comfortable and confident in it no matter what people think has been absolutely life-changing for me. And so what sort of things do you do to kind of switch that mindset going from fear of others opinions to confidence in being out? I think the first step was really to come to terms with it myself and to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of digging within my own beliefs and to challenge some of those things that were so deeply ingrained in us through society, right? We're born at a very young age to think that heterosexual is the default and anything else from that is weird or abnormal or, you know, is something to be feared. And so I had to dig deep and really challenge those thoughts and challenge what kind of comp head I had inside me. And then from there, it was about recognizing that there are always going to be people in this world who are going to be hateful. There are always going to be people in this world who are not going to understand. And there are always going to be people in this world who are going to actively try to bring down marginalized communities. And so I had to recognize that I'm not going to let other people's opinions and other people's beliefs and actions stop me from living my life and living it to the fullest. And part of doing that is being out and confident for me. And not everyone has to come out to people, right? I don't think that's something that has to be done for everyone. Everyone's journey is different. But for me, I felt that I was hiding every time I would speak. I would have to watch what I was talking about, or if I was talking about people I, I liked, I had to be careful not to, you know, name a or give a gender, in case I was accidentally outing myself. And I got tired of walking on eggshells every day, and I didn't want that for myself because I wanted to be able to be happy. And part of being happy for me was being able to be who I truly was. And so, did you have people directly putting you down for? coming out. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I, that was something that I really had to deal with. I'm thankful that there are definitely people in my life who were supportive. Um, but I think more than anything, there were people who just didn't understand. They were not exposed to, you know, different identities that they did not have direct experience with. And so they didn't really understand what I was trying to tell them. Uh, at the time, I was in a relationship with a man when I came out, and they're like, well, well, what about your relationship? They're like, aren't you, aren't you in a relationship with a man? How how can how can you be, you know, queer if you're that doesn't make sense? And and so I had to really educate and be patient with these people in my life to try to meet them where they were 
and slowly start to educate them and bring them up to a better understanding of who I am. And there's still a long way to go for some people in my life. And I recognize that. And there are some people who I think will never put in that energy to want to learn and want to be understanding and accepting. And that's okay. I've had to recognize that sometimes you have to cut your losses in life. And not every person who you've once loved or who has once loved you is going to love you forever unconditionally. And there's a moment where if they're no longer going to accept you, that you have to find other people. And I think that's why the idea of chosen family is so big within the LGBTQ plus community. It's because a lot of people have to deal with that hate and that um, people in their lives not accepting them. But we find other family through people who will accept us and who will love us. Exactly. Now, what is it that you do specifically to help with other people who are in the LGBTQ plus community? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, one thing that we do is a lot of initiatives that promote awareness. And so I think part of helping others within the community is recognizing that there are a lot of systemic barriers that are affecting people in the community and making it so that they can't engage in society in the same way as other people may be able to. And so what by spreading that awareness and spreading that education throughout the community, not just those who rec who identify within the LGBT plus community, but those outside of it, um, what we start to do is we start to talk about these things that are affecting the community and we start to break down those barriers one by one. And so we do a lot of advocacy and activism work, but then also too, within our organization, within Pride, what we like to do is events that bring people together because being a part of the LGBT plus community, especially when you're a part of spaces and a part of families that are not accepting of you, it can be really, really isolating. And so by bringing people together who have these shared experiences, it can be an incredible moment of connection and of feeling like you belong. When you see people who have those same experiences and who understand and who accept and love you, it can be a really life-changing experience. And I know that was what it was like for me when I entered this community. And so I help other people have that same moment, that same experience, because then it'll help them grow and feel more confident in themselves. And we do that in a variety of different ways. Sometimes it's events, sometimes it's just social media, sometimes it's Zoom meetings, right? Because we're in a pandemic right now, it's been a lot more difficult to get people together in the same ways that we used to. So we're having to reimagine how do we bring people together as a community in a way that's still going to be safe for them? And so it's been really an interesting process to to do those things, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I know that with every initiative that we do and every advocacy effort that I partake in, we're making lives better for people within the LGBT plus community. And what is one of the bigger barriers that you are trying to dismantle? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest kind of barriers to access for queer people is that they don't have the same access sometimes to um, to economic wealth. 
And so they have a harder time with jobs, for example, because they're often discriminated against. Um, Sometimes people are actually fired from their jobs due to discrimination because they have come out and people don't accept their, you know, quote unquote lifestyle. Um, And so there's a lot of people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community who are uh, living in poverty or who are homeless. And so helping with those initiatives, because I truly believe that one of the first steps to being able to live a, a really full and and healthy life is first and foremost having access to the basic needs that we need to survive. Making sure that people have a roof over their head, they're able to feed themselves every night, that they're able to, you know, have those basic needs. And then, you know, that's when you start to see a thriving society. And we don't just help with with those issues within the LGBTQ plus community. It's helping all marginalized communities who are facing those problems because there are so many marginalized communities who are facing those issues um, and who are more at risk of those things. And so that's where the advocacy kind of starts. And then it goes on from there. (laughs) I always say to people, everyone thinks that, you know, everything is solved now that um, gay marriage is legalized in certain areas. And it's like, no, that is that is the tip of the iceberg, friends. That is nowhere near um, the start of what this advocacy should look like. That is like the bare minimum at this point. And so that's what we're starting to do is, is deal with some of those social determinants of health and making sure that everyone is set up to have a good life. And are there some laws and ordinances that have been created in the more recent past to show that like change is I don't want to use the word like allowed, but like change is happening in Canada. One of the things that I can think of that is a really, really significant change that actually happened this year. Well, 2021, 2022 is right around that kind of cusp of December um, is that conversion therapy was actually uh, made illegal in Canada. And so conversion therapy, for those who may not know, was trying to basically cure gay people. And so they thought that through this type of therapy, you could make people straight or make people cisgender. And so they would subject people to this therapy, which really wasn't therapy, it was abuse. And what they saw is that the only thing that this therapy actually did was left people traumatized. Because sexuality and gender is not something that people just magically choose one day and then they can unchoose, right? It's, it's who you are. And so there's no therapy in the world that's going to change who you are and nor should there be. And so by helping to progress us forward, legislation was passed that was banning this type of therapy in Canada so that we don't have these abusive practices happening. And that was a really monumental step here in Canada, because it's something that we've been fighting for for a very, very long time. Now, that kind of ties right into mental health, uh, because obviously (laughs) mental health from conversion therapy, not great. Um, So Mm -hmm. what sort of things do you focus on relating directly to mental health? Yeah. um, So when it comes specifically to queer mental health, one of the things that we really try to focus on is making sure that people have access to those kind of services. Um, I live in a smaller city where we don't necessarily have access to the same types of services as you would see at a larger urban area. 
And so making sure that every single person, regardless of geographic location, has access to services that are not only going to help them, but also are going to be affirming of their identity. Because it's great to have access to mental health services, but if you're going to go in there and you're going to be re-traumatized by professionals who may not fully understand how to properly deal with people with your identity, then it's going to be really, really difficult. And not only is it going to re-traumatize you potentially, but you're not going to want to seek further help past that because you've had this incredibly bad experience with these, these professionals. And so making sure that we have access to adequate mental health services regardless of geographic location as well as those services that are going to be reaffirming and that are going to truly be beneficial for the community is really, really important. And so part of that is making sure that we have funding for those services, because right now there is nowhere near enough funding being dedicated towards mental health services, let alone mental health services for the LGBTQ plus community. And is... Is like the funding that's there and available for mental health extremely broad and not like not very specific at all? Exactly. That's the thing is the the funding that is available for mental health within my province, um, it's very, very broad and it doesn't necessarily cover everywhere. And by that, I mean, you'll see certain pockets that may get more mental health services but then there, it's not proportionally um, dispersed. And so you're going to have areas like where I live in the north where we have very little mental health services or we have mental health services that are not necessarily adequate and are going to be overrun because we have so many people who require these services, but not enough services to actually help every single person. And so we have super long wait times and just not enough to actually meet the needs of the communities. Now, you obviously got invested into mental health at a very young age um, because of your friend. Was mental health being talked about at all at that age? Not in the slightest. Um, When I first lost my friend to suicide, I will never forget, uh, we lost her in the summer. And then when I went back to school, I was going into the 10th grade and I went back to school and I think they maybe maybe said like, oh, here's a hotline you can call if you need support. And then that was it. There was no follow up on our mental health. There was no services available for us, no people for us to talk to. And the problem is, is we all went through this incredible grief and this incredible trauma at such a young age. But there was no services available for us to properly deal with these this issue. And so what ended up happening is for a lot of us who did go through this, those issues became compounded over time because we didn't deal with them. We, we didn't have the services or the, the tools to be able to. And so what happens is it starts to build and build and build. And eventually you have to deal with it. <laughs> but it, it gets to a point where, you know, I, I think about myself I don't think I actually sought professional help until I was about 18 years old. And so that's four years of it building. And when I did seek professional help, I didn't know who to go to. I remember I tried to look on the internet and I think it said like, oh, you can call a a suicide hotline. And I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily suicidal right now. I just, you know, need someone to talk to. And 
so I was like, okay, well, maybe there's something in my community. I ended up going to a walk-in clinic. <laughs> my very first, when I tried to go to get professional help my very first time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a walk-in clinic and maybe that'll help. And so I went to a walk-in clinic and they said, well, we can prescribe you something and then that's it. No follow-up. And I was like, uh, that's not quite what I'm looking for either. Uh, and so it was really, really difficult to access the limited services that we do have in this city because there wasn't enough education around what they were and it wasn't being you know, properly advertised to us. So I had no idea where to turn to. I'm very, very lucky that I'm in a place now where I've done a lot of advocacy work surrounding mental health. And so if I were to look for mental health services now and try to access that help, it would be a lot easier for me. But I'll never forget my first time trying to access professional help and I remember that I'm not the only person who's probably struggled to do that. And I probably won't be the last person. You know what I mean? So that's why I do the work I do. I do the work I do so that when people need that help, that help is there, that help is accessible. And people don't have to struggle for long periods of time to then, you know, potentially lose their life to this mental health issues. And do children who are still in school, are they able to now more readily find help and possibly have better help at school compared to it was a number of years ago for you? I like to think we're making progress. Um, from what I have seen, I, I definitely think that we do have more funding going towards youth mental health, which is a really great thing to see. I absolutely love seeing that investment in youth mental health and the fact that people are recognizing that mental illness and mental health is not just something that adults deal with, that youth also deal with this. And it's something that we should be helping youth with also. Um, so we're definitely making strides. Absolutely. I do think though, that as always, there's room for improvement. And one thing that I would like to see more of is more treatment that is really informed, not only by trauma and, and by these unique um, challenges, but I also want to see more education for counselors and for these people who are going to be working on the front lines in mental health um, around suicide loss, because the grief that people feel after losing someone to suicide is much different than the grief that they feel after losing someone from another type of, of illness or another type of um, death. And so I would love to see more education around that so that people who are helping these youth do know how to properly handle these challenges that, that youth are facing after losing someone to suicide. Now, you struggled at first to find help. Were you eventually able to find something to, as you just said, get the help that you needed with specifically like what started everything for you? Yeah, it took a, a long time for sure. Um, I ended up, I bounced around to a couple different people. I ended up talking to my school counselor was who, who was fantastic. And she has been an incredible supporter of me throughout this entire process. So I'm very grateful for her. But eventually she said, you know, you came here for therapy at the school level, but if it's no longer affecting your schooling, I'm not allowed to see you anymore. And because uh, my university was saying that unless it's affecting your, your schooling directly, then they can't provide those mental health supports. 
And so I had to find elsewhere. And I'm just lucky that the university I go to, we do have a, a health and dental plan. And the health plan does cover mental health services and therapy. And so I was able to find someone who was a registered professional who could help me in a little bit of a longer term basis, um, which was was incredible. That was the biggest thing that helped me to heal was being able to see someone longer term and talk about these issues and unpack everything that went on in my life. Because it's stuff that was just, I kept pushing down and, and moving forward when really, if I had the services available, I should have been able to just deal with it then and I wouldn't have to deal with all these issues later on in life. Um, so yeah, it's it's been incredible being able to see someone. I'm no longer, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a break right now and seeing how things go on my own, which is a healthy thing, right? It's once you've done enough time in therapy and you've been able to kind of work through some of these things, the next step is, okay, let's take some time, evaluate how far I've come, see where my healing has to go. And then if I need to go back, I go back and then we talk about other things, right? So yeah, I'm very, very thankful that I was able to access services and I've got the help that I need that I can in a healthy place to be able to advocate in the first place, right? Because not everyone is in a space to do that. Right. Now, there tends to be a stigma with mental health and, you know, looked very down upon. So did you run into that at all while you were trying to find mental health services? Absolutely. Yes. And it started at a very young age too, right? When after I first lost my friend, there was this stigma around needing to seek help in the first place after after losing her. And there was a lot of people who just didn't understand why I was grieving in the way that I was and why some of the feelings that I had were there. And so it started there and it continued on. And I know that when I first started advocating for these issues and, and I started talking about mental health more publicly, I got met with a lot of stares and a lot of questions. And I got met with a lot of, oh, are you sure you should be talking about that publicly? I don't know if that's smart. Like, uh, I don't think you should be sharing that. That's kind of a private matter, isn't it? And to that, I said, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm somebody who firmly believes that the first step to eliminating the stigma is talking about these things in a very open and honest manner. And I have gone my entire life that way. And that's, to me, also why coming out was so important to me versus maybe somebody else who may not feel it's as important. And it's because I live a very open and honest life. I want to be able to talk about these things in a public way because I think that's how we normalize them. That's how we start to break down the stigma by being honest and talking about the struggles that we have and talking about you know, when things are not going well for us. And the more people we see talking in this way and the more people we see you know, just being honest and open and starting these conversations, I think we'll start to break down that stigma and we're going to see less and less of it. But there definitely, definitely still is. And especially around some of the, what I would consider less savory um, parts of mental health and mental illness, right? I think about um, conversations around hygiene. When I talk about the fact that when I'm in my lowest depression and sometimes I don't shower for a week or I don't shower, you know what I mean? And I, some of those hygiene issues are really, really difficult for people who are struggling with their mental health. I get met with like, oh, that, that's gross. That's, I could never. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess if that's how you feel, but 
for many people, this is a very real thing. And I don't mind getting the stares. I don't mind people judging me. I don't mind people, you know, hating me, whatever. Because I know that by me sharing my story and me being open and honest with my journey, it's going to help somebody else. Somebody else who is going through the same things that I am or have been going through is going to either hear my story one day or see me and be like, yeah, I I experienced that. That's something I'm going through and they're going to see hope and they're going to be inspired by that. And that's why I do what I do at the end of the day is to inspire others and to empower them and show them that they're not the only ones going through what they're going through and that despite the stigma, they can still very much live incredible lives. Yes. And that's such an important message for, for people to hear. Mm-hmm. So now what is the professional path that you've been taking since high school? Good question. Uh, It's not what you're going to expect, actually. So I'm currently in my fifth year of university. I'm majoring or well, specializing in political science and then minoring in communication studies. And it's been a really interesting path because I have a lot of interests, but I have no idea where I'm going to go after graduation. And that's okay. Um, and I think part of the reason why I have had to do a lot of self-discovery and, and I've jumped around a little bit and I, I don't really have a set goal is I always tell people it's because I, for a very long time in my life, as I was struggling with my own mental health, did not think that I would make it to see past high school graduation. I did not think that I was going to live long enough to see that graduation, let alone where I am today. And because of that, I never made a long-term plan for myself. I never sat there in high school and thought, hmm, this is the career path I want to take. This is what I want to do with my future. This is what my plan is because I didn't think I would need to because I didn't think I'd make it there. And so it's been really, really interesting navigating what happens after that moment. But I always think that every day that I make it past you know, what I thought is is one day more, right? And I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. And I'm in no rush. Um, I know that I want to go into something in the realm of mental health. I don't necessarily think I want to become a mental health professional because I, re- I recognize the boundaries of my own health and I recognize that it wouldn't be healthy for me. But I do want to still continue to advocate for others. And I do still want to make a difference in people's lives. And I'm going to continue to seek out those opportunities and see where it, where I go from there. (laughs) Right. And you don't need a set path. As you said, you know, you've, you've got time and you're handling it realistically, um, knowing, Mm. you know, what you've been through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And honestly, I find some joy in that in a way, because the less of a path that I have, the more I've been open to just exploring the opportunities that come up. Um, And I think about where I first started being more confident, advocating and publicly speaking about some of these these issues. And it came from pageantry (laughs) in a really odd way. um, I used to compete in pageants and I I would never call myself shy necessarily, 
Um, but I, these were some issues that I was a little bit more shy talking about publicly, like you said, because of that stigma. And pageantry really opened my eyes and showed me that I have this this voice and this platform to be able to make a huge difference in people's lives and to make a difference in our society. And that's where I first started, you know, talking about my mental health and advocating. And it just kind of bloomed from there. And it blossomed into this incredible public speaking career that I am so thankful to have now. And I don't think that would have came had I not been open to that opportunity and had I not continued to be open to opportunities after that. And what was your pageantry experience like? I feel like pageantries can get a pretty bad rap. Oh, absolutely. I definitely think pageantry can get a bad rap. Uh, And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are pageants out there that are a little bit um, catty and a little bit kind of um, shallow, but I had great experiences in the ones that I competed in. Um, One of the ones that I competed in was Miss North Ontario, which was here in my kind of local region. And that pageant was focused on really self-development and growth. And that whole weekend, yes, there was a a gown, a beauty gown portion or whatever, but the majority of it was workshops and it was getting to know ourselves and it was interviews and public speaking and building of our platforms. And it was talking about volunteer work and going out in the community and helping the community. And I had an incredible experience. And What I love about that, actually, the gown section to talk about a little bit, um, what I do love about it is that there's not, at least for this pageant, there wasn't a pressure to be this this perfect human being with the perfect smile and perfect hair and all this stuff. It was, I'm going to dress up in the way that I want to dress up where I feel most confident and where I feel the most beautiful in in a gown that I love. Uh, And so I always think back to that pageant because I... I had a lovely, like it was a very sparkly dress and it very much matched my personality. It was sparkly and fun. Um, But I think back to like some of the other girls who I met at that pageant. And there was one girl who there was like a fashion section and she was a welder. And so she showed up on stage in a welding suit (laughs) and it was awesome. I thought, I think that's probably one of the best ones I've ever seen. It's because that's what she was passionate about and that's what she loved. And that's how she felt most confident. And it was memorable and amazing for not only her, but everybody to see. Um, And then from there, I ended up going to compete at Miss World Canada. So I represented my city at Miss World Canada, which is a national pageant. So there were girls from all across the country who competed there. Um, And that was also a great experience. I spent about a week um, in Toronto and I got to do all sorts of different things. I I walked in a fashion show, which was kind of cool. And do all these different experiences that I had never gotten the chance to do. And as I did these pageants, I really grew not only in my self-knowledge, but in my confidence. I truly thank pageantry for that because it gave me the confidence to approach any situation with just grace and with understanding and with confidence and to approach it head on and to not let anybody tell me that I can't do what I want to do. And how did you first get into pageants? Yeah, so my one of my cousins actually was also in some pageantry. So she kind of inspired me a little bit, but I did just kind of see it as well. I grew up watching Miss World and Miss Universe on the television when I was younger. And I always remember seeing them on the portion where they would talk about 
their humanitarian projects and their beauty with a purpose is what it was called. And they would talk about these projects that they're doing in their countries to help better their countries and their communities. And I was really inspired by that. And so as I got older, I got approached to take part in Miss North Ontario. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I've I've seen these women and I've seen how beautiful they are, not just by you know physical appearance, but by personality. And I want to be that person. I want to be someone who, when people see me, they think, wow, that person is a beautiful person, not because they're beautiful on the outside, but because their energy just radiates and they have so much love and care for the people around them and their community that they're willing to to put in all of that effort to make sure that they leave this world better than it was before they got there. And that's really what I've tried to embody as I move forward in my own life. And how was it like with the competition aspect of things? Because you know, you're, you're very passionate about mental health and I feel like mental health is not always great in competition. <laughs> That's fair. You know, it actually, it was really good. I will say, um, the other girls were really, really supportive, but I do believe that whenever you're entering any sort of competition, you do have to go in with a very tough mindset. And by that, I mean, you have to be incredibly confident in yourself first before you go in there. You need to believe in yourself and your abilities before you let anyone else judge yourself and your abilities. Because if you're not confident in yourself, if you don't feel that love for yourself and you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to get the same experience and the validation that you may potentially be looking for from these other parties, right? Because I do know some people who go in and they don't feel confident in themselves and they're going in seeking that external validation. But at the end of the day, if you rely on external validation to drive yourself and to make yourself feel better, it's going to just be a worse experience than anything, <laughs> right? Because you're never going to get that validation in the same way that you need it. It's never going to be fulfilling and you're never going to feel whole in the same way. Whereas if you are confident in yourself first, that external validation doesn't matter. It really doesn't. At the end of the day, if you're confident in yourself first, it doesn't matter what other people have to say about you. It doesn't matter what the competition looks like or what they do or who they are because you're confident in yourself and you know that you've done the best you can. And that's the mindset that I usually would go into these things with is, you know, I am going to go in do the best that I can. And at the end of the day, if I don't win, that's not because I'm awful because I'm ugly because I'm a bad person whatever it may be it's because I'm just not who or what they're looking for right now and that's okay right I'm still did the best that I can and I'm still an incredible human being and I'm still just as much as deserving as anyone else who's on that stage and I'm just not what they're looking for right now and I can't change that and that's okay and so that's how I kind of got the most out of these experiences is by going in with that mindset because then I leave knowing that I did everything I possibly could and I gained a whole bunch of experience and I gained so many amazing friendships and stories that I can tell for the rest of my life. And you're like everything that you say is so like powerful and I think so important for a lot of people to hear. So what is the biggest thing beyond confidence that you pulled from those pageantry experiences? 
I definitely think that the biggest lesson that I learned from pageantry is that we all have a story to tell at the end of the day. And my journey is going to be different from yours and it's going to be just different from the journey of the person who's listening to this right now. But each and every one of us, our story is important and our story and our experiences can really help to shape this world into an amazing place. And I learned how to utilize my own story and my own voice to make a difference in this world. And now I help others do the same. And so that was what I took away from pageantry is that all of us are important. All of us have a role to play in this world and that we shouldn't shy away from sharing our stories and sharing our experiences just because we don't think that, you know, someone may be interested in it or we don't think it's exciting enough or whatever it may be. Because I can promise you that when you do share that story, when you do speak up, when you do advocate for what you believe in and when you are passionate, there's going to be someone, even if you don't realize it, who's going to look up to you and say, wow, that person is really inspiring to me and they make me want to be a better person and to be myself and make me want to share my story. Um, And so that's really what I learned from pageantry is to advocate and share that story and to be the person that I think I always wanted to find in others and that I was always looking for some sort of role model and I I couldn't find it in my community because I didn't know anyone who was going through the same thing that I was and so now I'm that role model for others and I hope one day that those people who look up to me can look up people will look up to them and they'll continue on a path and they'll continue on pursuing their dreams and their passions. And I think that's so powerful and and so well said. And, you know, throughout this entire episode, you've really honed in on that and, and the inspiration and advocacy for others. Now, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before we get to the final question? Yeah, I think if I could leave them with anything, I would say to not give up on yourself. For a very long time, like I said, I didn't think I'd make it to where I am today. But it was because I didn't give up on myself. And I continued to fight each and every day. And I continued to wake up. And even if my 100% didn't look like it would the day before, the day after, I still showed up for myself. And I still made a point to make sure that I survived the next day. (laughs) And so I think my biggest message would be don't give up. If you have dreams, if you have passions, don't let other people squish those dreams for you. Don't let other people's actions, don't let their thoughts, their beliefs ruin those for you. Because you don't want other people living your life for you. You want to be the one living your life. And so keep going, keep pushing forward. And build that life that you want it to be and don't let other people stop you that's some great advice (laughs) now with all of my guests i do ask a random question at the end cited so you you can choose either or um what would your superhero or super villain name be whichever you want to choose and then Ooh, that is a really good question. Um, I've never really thought about that. Definitely superhero. I wouldn't want to be a supervillain. Mind you, I do like supervillains usually in like TV shows and stuff. Ooh. 
I can't give you a comprehensive answer, but I can say that it would probably have the word magic in it. Something magic. I don't know, because I when I think of magic, I think of someone who has a spark, who is able to to make things that people look at and go, wow, that's incredible. And that's kind of what I want to leave people with, right? I want people to look at me and be like, wow, what, what she's doing right there, that's magic. That's incredible. And so that's what I would have in the name. What the name would be, though? I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> All right, that brings this episode to a close. I will, of course, be leaving information for Caitlin in the description. So her website handle, along with her social media handle, which she uses on all social media, her name, she makes it easy for us, but that will be there if you would like to check that out. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, uh, our website is in the description as well. That brings you to all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages. Also in the description is how to support the podcast monetarily uh, with a one-time donation or reoccurring, whatever you might desire if you'd like to support us. And of course, my email address is there as well. If you'd like to be a guest, feel free to just email me. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week, bye. Thank you so much for having me and stay wonderful. (laughs) 